At North Point Community Church, we are passionate about helping our community move toward a life fully devoted to Jesus. And we hope this message helps you do that. Thank you for tuning in. Good morning. I'm getting all my stuff organized up here. Hey, um, I don't know about you, but worship for me does something like nothing else. Um, this morning, I was just thinking about the reality in our time of communion that Jesus died for us. He died for me. And the, the truth of the grace and mercy of, of God is just so good. So good that we can come and celebrate it and, um, and just kind of live in that in a cool way. So uh, we're glad you're here, glad that, that we can do that. Um, not very often do we talk about organizational stuff on, uh, in, in the message, but let me just share something that's kind of cool. We made a decision recently to uh, uh, change a position title, and I just wanted to share that with you. Uh, a couple of people last week said, oh, Jake's got a new name underneath, uh, a new title underneath his name. It says associate minister. What's that mean? It means that we've just altered Jake's role a bit, given him a little bit more responsibility. He's going to be speaking more, and, um, and that's a cool thing. And I just wanted to sh share that with you. Don't get shook by that. That's just a great thing. Uh, yeah, good for Jake. Yep, excited about that. Um, I mentioned last week that um, if you have the North Point app, uh, go ahead and open that up. And down at the bottom of the app notes, uh, the the notes that are there, there's a, there's a place that if you have questions during the message today, that you can, you can uh, press a button there and submit those questions. Uh, Mark and I did a, uh, uh, a blog, uh, not a blog, a vlog, a uh, podcast, whatever, a follow-up to the message this past Monday that we, that we put out on Tuesday. Had some great questions come in, and it's a chance for, for us to just kind of flesh out the message a little bit more, to share maybe a little bit more on topic, or to help clarify some things. And we would love to have you be a part of that, to watch it, to interact with it, and, um, and to give us um, questions that can help us in that. So uh, feel free to do that at any point in time in the message today. Um, contrary to what Sylvia said, um, you don't, you, you're not allowed to play on your phone, but you can send messages, you can send uh, questions in. That would be great. Um, last we started a new series. Um, you know, one of the bad things about a bald head is sometimes your ears do funny things. All right. Sorry, Mark. You guys who are online, I'm sorry about that, uh, all the adjustment stuff, but we're good to go now, I think. Um, last week we started a new series of messages called Owning North Point. And I shared at the beginning of that message uh, um, our mission at North Point, helping all people move towards a life fully devoted to Jesus, and our vision that everybody who calls North Point home would see Jesus working in their life and would be sharing that with other people, that, that we would own, see, and share what God is, is doing in us. What we want to do for the next few weeks is just talk about what it looks like to own North Point. Last week was really kind of a foundation. It was it was to build the base to say, okay, what's it mean to be the church specifically? There's the church universal that, that is all disciples of Jesus and the church local, which is North Point. Last week, we talked primarily about the church universal, about what it looks like to be a part of the big C church, how you do that, what's involved in becoming a part of the church, and what that looks like, the model that Jesus had for us. Um, 
one of the things that I tried to communicate last week is that you can't casually date the church. Um, you can come and be part and explore, and, uh, and that's all great. But there comes a time when you have to say, yeah, I'm in or I'm not in. Uh, a time where, that you say, I'm an active, vital part of the body of Christ, or I'm not. And, um, and that's that determine the relationship. We hope that these over these three weeks, that there'll be a sense of that happening for you. That you say, oh yeah, this is where I want to be. This is where I want to land. This is, who I, this is where I want to grow spiritually. Or that you'll say, you know what? That's a great place. Those are good people. That's not really where I need to be. I need to be someplace else. But there will be that sense of uh, determining the relationship, that kind of moment. Um, one of the other things that I tried to communicate last week is that the, that the church is the body of Christ, that uh, scripture describes it that way, that we're connected to each other. And I want to flesh that out and look at what that looks like at a little deeper level today. Uh, when Jesus said, I will build my church, what did he have in mind? What was, what was going on in Jesus' mind when he began to say, this is what it's going to look like? Was, was he talking about creating a service organization like, like uh, Rotary or, or the Lions Club? Was he talking about a geopolitical organization that, would, that was designed to take over the world by force? Was he talking ab about an organization for people to promote and to protect their shared interests like a country club? Or was he talking about something else? Was he talking about an organism to help people know the heart of God and deepen their relationship with him in preparation for eternity. That's what I think Jesus was talking about. Knowing who you are as an organization, it helps determine, it helps you define your expectations, it helps you know where you fit. And I think that this is so important for us because it's so easy to say, oh yeah, I'm gonna go to church, I'm gonna go, we're gonna do some music, somebody's gonna talk, that's gonna be good, I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna be the last one in, the first one out. That's good, I'm, yeah, I'm a part of the church. That's not what Jesus had in mind. Jesus' plan was that the, that the church would be involved in each other's lives, that they would be helping prepare each other for eternity in a way that, that demanded contact. Knowing who you are as an organization, know, know what you're about makes all the difference in the world. Um, at the City University of New York, one of their areas of study, one of, their, one of their schools, is the School of Journalism. In the faculty handbook for the Craig Newman School of Journal Journalism, it says this. So this is a journalism school, right? It says this. Fiction writing is an honorable profession, but that's not what we do here. Uh, I, I love that. Because they were saying, uh, we, we, train, we train journalists that, that are able to communicate the news to people. Um, this is who we are. This is what we do. If you're going to the Juilliard School of Music, you're not going to become an engineer, right? You're not going to study agriculture. If you're going to the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT, you're not going to be a lawyer, right? When you come to the church, what is it? that you're designed to do? Who is it that you're designed to be? If you're part of the body of Christ, what does that mean? What's that look like? If the body is a team, it, if, if we're to show the world the hands and feet of Jesus by following Jesus, 
by being changed by Jesus, by pursuing the mission of Jesus. What's that look like for us? Um, as a sophomore in high school, I, I remember... Uh, I, re I remember so many things about that time that was a long time ago. But I remember football practice that year because as a sophomore in a, in a larger school that had a really good football team, the sophomores on the football team were the scout team. Anybody, uh, does, does that relate to you? The scout team is basically the, the group of people that, that uh, practice against the first team, the, the starters. And they basically uh, get kicked around over and over and over and over again. And um, I remember in my sophomore year, we were doing that, we were going through that process, we were running the plays. And um, after you get knocked down so many times by people who are bigger and stronger and faster than you, you get kind of discouraged in that process. And I remember the, the head coach coming over to us in the scout team and saying, hey, look, you don't understand how important you are on this team. Um, our team will only be as good as you are as the scout team. Because if you can't show us what we're gonna experience on Friday night, if you can't run the plays of the opposing team, if you can't tackle with ferocity, if you can't run with reckless abandon, then, then we won't be ready on Friday night. We're only as good as you um, when we get to the games. There's a phrase that says uh, uh, a chain is only as strong as its weakest link, right? That we, we understand that. Here's the, here's the issue with the church. When we come together and we, we don't engage with the rest of the body of Christ, we don't allow the church to be all that it can be. And sometimes we try and function as a chain together, but some of our links are like paper clips. They're just not very strong because they're not engaged, they're not strong. We're the body of Christ dependent upon each other What's it look like to be the body of Christ? It means that you are a contributor. It means that you're an investor. It means that you are a carer, that you care about people. It's, it's, you, you can't be just an observer. You can't be a spectator. You can't be a consumer and be a part of the body of Christ. That's true for the church local, and it's true for the church universal. It's true for you here at North Point, but it's also true of the big C church as well. Um, when I was on staff at Ozark Christian College, we had a, we had a uh, program called Highest Praise. Highest Praise was an audition group of musicians that were high school age that would, that would send in their audition tapes, they'd get selected, and then they would come to the campus would rehearse for five days and then would go on tour for 11 days and sing in different churches and, and communities around the country. It was a really cool thing. I, I was in charge of that group and so I would listen to somewhere between usually 120 and 160 audition tapes of high school kids, musicians. Let me tell you, that's really fun, you know? Um, it, it actually, it was pretty incredible because I got to know a lot of the kids. But once those, once those students were chosen, I would spend a significant amount of time, hours and hours and hours, positioning them for rehearsal week. Because some of those kids were great musicians. And some of them, frankly, had a long way to go, right? Um, and so the, the art of, of determining where people sat during rehearsal week made a huge difference in how effective we were ultimately when we began to tour. 
um, the, the thing that happened in that process was that I, if the, the, the kids who were the lesser musicians, if I placed all of them together, they would get discouraged and they would get rowdy and they would ruin rehearsals. But if I could place, if I could put people who were strong next to people who were weak, people who were kind of in the middle, um, in, in other places, fill that in in such a way that people could hear their parts. By the time it came, by the time um, it came time for us to go on tour, all of the kids knew their parts. All the kids knew their words. All the kids knew their stuff. And we were a body that God could use to spread the good news of Jesus. As the body of Christ, some of us are really strong in terms of our walk with Jesus. And some of us are just beginning. Some of us are struggling. Some of us are hurting. And we've got to be engaged in each other's lives because what happens if you're struggling, if you're sorting through what it means to follow Jesus and you don't connect with other people, you will shrivel and die spiritually. You've got to have that interaction. Um, make no mistake about this. There is no appendix in the body of Christ. You get that imagery? The appendix is, that's the one part of our body that, that doctors say it's kind of extraneous. It's, they say that it's there from before. It doesn't make, uh, you know, it doesn't have any value. And so if you get appendicitis and you take it out, there's not really any impact to your body that, that, we're, um, really, that we really know about. It's interesting that some studies have been done recently that says when your body is in crisis, the appendix actually releases some things into your body that helps fight that crisis. But for the most part, the appendix seems and feels like it's just extraneous. It doesn't matter. Some of us try and function in the body of Christ like the appendix. Oh, yeah, I'm a part of the body. I've got blood flowing through me. I connect to the rest of the body, but I don't really matter at all. Hear me. There is no appendix in the body of Christ. We all have a role. We all have a job to do. We all are a bicep or a, a bone or um, a, a ligament or a tendon or a circulatory system, an artery, whatever it is. We function together to be the body of Christ. You know, Acts 2, Acts 2, the end of Acts chapter 2 is really kind of the puzzle box picture of what it means to be the church. Um, uh, anybody like to do puzzles? I, 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 some puzzle fans. Um, you know, when you, when you start a puzzle, you, you can go crazy and just put the box away and try and figure it out on your own. That doesn't usually work very well, right? What you need is that model, that picture that you can say, oh, yeah, the sky is in this corner, the trees are in this corner, the, ocean, the sea is in this part, the house is over here, and you begin to put pieces together based on that picture. Acts 2, the end of Acts 2 is the model of what the church should like. Peter's preached on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people have responded to Peter's message where Peter says, you've killed the Messiah, the one who came to save us. And they say, what do we do? And Peter says, repent, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, for the Holy Spirit to come and live within you. And picking it up now in Acts 2, verse 41. If you've got your Bibles, open those up. Take a look. It's going to be on screen. Listen to what, listen to what um, Luke, the historian, says. Those who believe that Peter, what Peter said were baptized, 
and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. And now everything that's underlined is a characteristic of what the church looked like in Acts chapter 2. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's, that's um, clarity, teaching about scripture. And to fellowship, connection with each other, just enjoying being together. And to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and prayer. In the, in, the, in the first century, when people first began to follow Jesus, one of the things that they did was that they spent a lot of time meeting together, eating together, and celebrating what Jesus had done. That Jesus had gone to the cross and taken their sins on himself. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. Have you ever been in church and worship and just had this sense of the presence of God. God's always here. The Holy Spirit is always here. But there's some times that, that, that um, it happens that we're in a place that either we're in great need or we've seen God work in great ways and we have that sense of all. That was a part, that is a part of the church. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They shared everything that they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. That's a level of interaction that describes what the church is supposed to be, taking care of each other. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. Do you, do you have this picture of what the church looked like? It was the kind of place that you say, man, I want to be a part of that. People uh, eating together, people taking care of each other when they're in crisis, people seeing the hand of God working in their life. I, I, I don't know about you, but I think there is a different level of conversation that happens when you eat, right? Um, uh, we had some friends stop by yesterday and we had we had a conversation at the door. They came to the door, we talked for a while, and they left. As soon as those friends come from the door into the kitchen, into the place that we eat, and we begin to eat together, there's a different level of stuff that happens, right? That's the picture of what took place in the church. It wasn't just this casual relationship. It was sitting around the table talking about what's going on in your day, talking about how you're seeing God work in your life, talking about the things that you're struggling with. Sharing meals together is such an important part. In our culture, in our culture, we don't do that very much because we say, my house is my house, right? Stay away from my house. That's my protected area. That wasn't what it looked like for the church because they understood how important it was to be connected to each other. That picture of the church in Acts chapter two, at the end of Acts chapter two, that's the kind of church I wanna be part of. It's the kind of church you wanna be a part of. People that love you, that accept you, that challenge you, that encourage you, that are doing life with you. The church um, also had an external focus. I, when you read through the New Testament, uh, as I was prepping this morning, I was for this morning, I was thinking, um, you know what? It's Acts two describes it so well, but there was an external focus as well. In James chapter one, uh, verse twenty-seven, James says this: "Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father 
means caring for orphans and widows in their distress, refusing to let the world corrupt you. What's a part of the purpose of the church? How does the church function? The church cares for the, for the vulnerable, for the defenseless, for the marginalized, the disenfranchised. That's part of what it means to be a part of the body of Christ, looking beyond what is comfortable for us. Acts 6 describes another role of the church, um, that, that they found solutions to problems that existed in the church and I think probably at some level in the society. This is Acts 6, chapter one or verse 1. As, but as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. Ever been in a church with problems? Um, I would say you've, if the answer to that is no, you've probably never been in a church. Um, as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated, discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. Culturally, what was going on was uh, once you were widowed, you were really kind of on your own. Didn't have anybody to take care of you. And there was a racial thing that was going on. The Hebrew women were getting food. The Hebrew widows were getting food. The Greek widows weren't, and it was causing problems. And so the leadership of the church said, we've got to figure this out. And so they ultimately, the apostles, uh, through, with the, along with the church, um, found six guys that, that, that would serve as deacons that would help take care of this problem. And, uh, and, and uh, actually it was not six, it was seven, seven men that would, that would do that, that would meet the needs and make sure that the food was being distributed so that the apostles could focus on teaching and prayer. A key attribute of the church was their engagement with each other. Now, don't miss this. Um, the church can't be the church without one anothering one another. Let me say that again. The church can't be the church without one anothering one another. What's that mean? There are 59 different um, phrases in scripture where followers of Jesus are called to do something to one another. Um, they're, they're all over the place. 59 times in the New Testament, it says that. Um, knowledge is good, but knowledge isn't enough. Being present here on Sunday morning is good, but, but an appendix is present in the body. That's not good enough. To be the church, you've got to fully engage with people. You have to do the one another thing. One another is two words in English. In the Greek, it's actually one word, a lelon, a lelon. And, and it, it describes the interaction that takes place within the body of Christ. Sometimes it's in the negative where it will say, don't lie to one another. Don't provoke one another. Stop judging one another. Sometimes it's like that. Um, but the vast majority are an encouragement to help each other grow. A third of those one another's instruct Christians to love one another. It says over and over again, love one another, love one another, love one another, love one another. Through love, serve one another, tolerate one another in love, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. You can't love somebody that you don't know you can't love somebody that you don't have contact with. A third, instruct Christians to love one another. A third of the one another's call followers of Jesus to unity. Romans 15 says, accept one another. 
Galatians or Colossians says, bear with each other, forgive one another, gently, patiently tolerate one another, Ephesians, be at peace with one another. A third of the one another's talk about being together, being unified. Man, we live in a world that's divided, right? Divided about things, about all kinds of things. If we as the body of Christ can come together and be unified, still, we may still disagree about lots of different things, but there be unity that is present here. It will demonstrate to the world who Jesus is in a way that makes tons of sense because it's so different than the world that we live in. A sixth, a sixth of the one another's focus on an attitude of humility and deference. Romans 12, give preference to one another in honor. Philippians 2, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Galatians 5, serve one another. John 13, wash one another's feet. Ephesians 5, be subject to one another. 1 Peter 5, clothe yourselves in humility toward one another. It is so important. It's so important that as followers of Jesus, our focus isn't just on us, but it's on how we can prefer, how we can honor, how we can lift up each other. Uh, one, one author uh, has talked about having a rational preoccupation with the preciousness of others. Because God made you, because God made me. That, that as Christians, we need to be consumed with rational preoccupation with the preciousness of each other in humility and deference. The other sixth of the one another's cover a variety of other kinds of instruction. Bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6. Speak truth to one another, Ephesians 4. Encourage, build up one another, Thessalonians. Stimulate one another to love and good works, Hebrews 10. Pray for one another, James 5. Be hospitable to one another, 1 Peter 4. It's hard to one another one another if we don't know each other, right? If we're not involved in each other's lives. Um, Anybody know, uh, I, don't, I don't know if you could see this or not. Anybody know what this is? Can you tell? It's a little stone rock kind of thing. Uh, I, I can tell you that it's kind of cylindrical, a little bit oval. It's hard, that kind of thing. And you don't really know what the, what the properties of this are until it begins to interact with others. You know what it is now? It's a magnet. You only know the properties of a magnet when it comes in contact with something that's metal or with other magnets. As a follower of Jesus, you can't live isolated, away from everyone else. You've got to be connected. Um, you know, when you read about the church in Acts 2 in the first century, I think it begs a question to say, did it really work? Did, did the church really do what it was supposed to do, what Jesus had in mind. When you read uh, through, the, through the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, it was a mess. They had all kinds of problems. The whole letter was instruction for how to, how to grow as, uh, to, into the body of Christ. It was a mess. 
the, church in Galatia, the churches in Galatia, in Galatia had, had all kinds of conflict about whether or not you had to become a Jew before you could become a Christian. There was division, racial division that existed there. Did the church ever really get it? I think if you look at, at Romans 16, at the end of Paul's letter to the church in Rome, uh, it describes the kind of relationships and the interaction that need to take place in the church. I don't have it on screen. If you want to take a Bible out of the, the back of the pew or, or use the app to go there, um, I, I think that there's something powerful in just kind of hearing this because it describes what the church looks like when, people, uh, when, when people's lives are intertwined with each other. Paul says this, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who's a deacon in the church in Censoria. Welcome her in the Lord as one who's worthy of honor among God's people. Help her in whatever she needs, for she's been helpful to many, especially to me. So there's this lady named Phoebe that Paul says, man, she's been a great asset to me, and she's going to be one to you too. Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my, worker, my co-workers in the ministry of Jesus Christ. They risk their lives for me. I'm thankful to them, and, and so are all the Gentile churches. Give my greetings to the church that meets in their home. Paul knew who Aquila and Priscilla were. He had this relationship with them that they had saved his life and he had invested in them. Greet my dear friend Eponidas. He was the first person from the province of Asia to become a follower of Christ. Give my greetings to Mary who's worked so hard for your benefit. Give, uh, greet Andronic, uh, Andronicus and Junia, Junia, my fellow Jews who were in prison with me. They're highly respected among the apostles and, become, and became followers of Christ before I did. Greet Am- Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord, greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachus. Do you understand that Paul is just ticking of people off who have been significant in his life? When I look back on the churches that I've served, if I were to write to them, there, were, there would be individual people that I would say, oh man, tell them hi, tell them hello. Man, they made such a difference. They impacted my life in such a powerful way. That's what Paul is describing to the church in Rome. Greet Apollos, a good man whom Christ approves. Give my greetings to the believers from the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet the Lord's people from the household of Narcissus. Give my greetings to Trifemina and Tryphosa, the Lord's workers, and to dear Persis, who has worked so hard for the Lord. Greet Rufus, whom the Lord picked out to be his very own, and also his dear mother, who has been like a mother to me. Hey, if any of you are pregnant, feel free to use any of those names for your kids, all right? Uh, you know, uh, you'll just rock and roll with that. Give my greetings to Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobas, Hermas, and the brothers and sisters who meet with them. Give my greetings to Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and to Olympus and all the believers who meet with them. Greet each other with a sacred kiss. All the churches of Christ send you greetings. When you read Romans 16, it's easy to just kind of spin through that like a genealogy, right? But when you begin to understand that Paul was writing to people who had invested in him and that he had invested in, all of a sudden, those, those verses, those greetings take on a completely different culture, a, a different context. If you were to write a letter to someone Who would you commend in the body of Christ that had invested in you? If you were to move away, who would you write back and say, oh man, be sure and tell this person and this person and this person and this person 
about the impact that they've had in your life. If you can't come up with very many, you need to get engaged in the body of Christ at a different level. How do you apply today's message? Let, let me just give you a couple things. The first is this, be more than comfortable. In our culture, we prize comfort. We prize comfort in the church. We have air conditioning, we, you know, padded pews, all that kind of stuff. It makes it, we make it easy for people to, to come in and not connect. And I would encourage you, I would encourage you to step out of your comfort zone, to be the church that Jesus died for. Comfort was not an option for Jesus when he went to the cross. Understand that you don't grow, you don't grow when you're comfortable. It's that when you're stretched, when you're out of your comfort zone, that then you rest and you recognize the growth that God has brought into your life. Be more than comfortable and invest. The, the, the phrase that, that just works for me is this. Dive small and swim deep. Dive small and swim deep. But when you watch the Olympics and the guys go off, the, the, the guys that dive from really high, when they hit the water, they hit in a very tiny place, but they go incredibly deep. You have to have a group of people within the body of Christ that you can go incredibly deep with, that you're invested in their life, they're invested in you, and that you're going deep and deep and deep. But you also need to swim wide. You need to swim in, a, in all kinds of different directions and to get beyond just a disciple-making relationship, just beyond your life group. You need to have relationships that are here in the greater body of Christ here at North Point. You need to know more than just the people in your particular area of ministry or your life group. You need to work at that and be intentional in that. And um, you need to be involved in the greater body, the church universal at some level as well. You've got to have connections with the body of Christ that, that are beyond North Point. Don't just focus here. Think about what you can do in the kingdom of God. Um, as a staff, I, I say to the staff, we, um, one of the things that we have in our, in our manual is empowering the staff to serve the kingdom in other areas outside of North Point. So it's a great thing that Chris is a chaplain for the DeWitt Police and Fire Departments. It's a great thing when Jake has a chance to go preach in Cincinnati or someplace else as a, as a representative of North Point, but as a ministry to the body of Christ. Amy, when she has a chance to talk about Surrender the Secret, our, our ministry to post a board of women, and she has a chance to travel over the state or in multiple states and do that, that's such a great thing. Um, dive deep, but swim, swim wide. Um, invest, invest in people, and, and, and take, um, take the initiative on yourself, initiate. Um, if, you're part of the, if you're part of the body of Christ, you've got to take initiative. Um, you know, in your family, nobody needs permission to write a note to a family member. Nobody needs permission to wash dishes when they're dirty. Nobody needs permission to fill the tank with gas. Nobody needs permission to come to the table to eat, right? Everybody takes initiative to do those things in their family. That's what you do as a part of the family. When a bug flies into your eye, 
You don't have to wait for your brain to say, hey, fingers, would you, uh, would you pull that bug out, right? You, you don't have to wait for your brain to say, oh, tear duct, would you start to react to that bug that's there? Oh, um, you don't have to wait for the brain to say, eyelid, begin to move to try and move that bug out of there. As soon as there's that conflict, everything begins to respond immediately, right? Your fingers are beginning to, to pull that, that, uh, that gnat out of there. Your tear duct begins to work. Your eyes are blinking. All of that happens because the individual body parts take initiative to engage with the rest of the body. When you see a need in the body, a physical need, a financial need, somebody sliding spiritually, somebody hurting emotionally, meet that need. If you're part of the body of Christ, meet that need. You don't need to wait for a call from the staff. You don't need permission from the elders. You don't need a text from your life group leader. Take the initiative and begin to reach out and be the body of Christ. Um, we're called to do that, to live that out in a powerful way. Um, you know, the picture on the, the box of a puzzle, the thousand piece or a 2000 piece puzzle, um, it helps complete that picture, but the pieces don't come together all by themselves. God has put us together for a purpose. God has made us the body of Christ for a purpose. It's so that we can engage with each other, so that we can interact with each other. We need to link our pieces for his glory. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you that you have created us to be the body of Christ. God, we thank you that you've um, called us to show the world what Jesus looks like to be his hands and feet. Um, God, help us to do that. Give us courage to take initiative. Give us courage, God, to get out of our comfort zone. Give us courage to meet needs in the way that you call us to. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.